Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and welcome to Origins. The only predictable thing about Curb Your Enthusiasm may be that it never has become predictable. Larry David and his gang never learned how to coast. And of all the ways you can think about Curb, one is to view it as a comedy laboratory where the mysterious Dr. David and his cohorts devise previously unimagined ways to make people laugh. Here's Ted Danson. It's my favorite scene. I wasn't in it. <laughs> <laughs> better because otherwise I judge myself too harshly and I'm not even looking at the scene. But my favorite, <laughs> I think it was the Seinfeld reunion year, and he and Jerry had a writing assistant or a secretary or something, a wonderful actress, wonderful, brave actress, who was wearing these crop tops. Oh my gosh, that was brutal. Revealing her belly. <laughs> and in one of the final scenes, he starts to fall off, perhaps to his death from this building, because she's run up and surprised him or something. And he reaches out as he's falling and grabs her belly fat <laughs> and hangs on to her belly fat and saves his life. Larry! Hang on, Larry! Hang on! Oh my God, it was so wrong. So wrong. <laughs> How much of uh, Cheryl Hines did you let bleed into Cheryl David? (laughs) Definitely the parts where Cheryl David appreciates Larry, because I love hanging out with Larry, and he really makes me laugh. So definitely those parts. I mean, I'm different from Cheryl David, because in real life, I don't really sweat some of the issues that come up on Curb. There was an episode called Porno Gill, Bob Odenkirk was a porn, he made porn movies, and we went to his house, and he was telling porn stories at the dinner table. And my character was not entertained. But, you know, in real life, I would find that really entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) So there are moments like that when I have to be a little more uptight than I actually am. In that blanket episode, when Susie walks in and she starts talking to Larry and yelling at Larry, I remember you're sitting on the couch, you guys are playing cards, and I think you go, mm, I love a woman who talks like that. How did you find who he was? Leah is just, you know what? He has to be a little bit of me in some sense, but I take what I can use from JB and I apply it to Leon. Because I think what it is, is I always find thinking in the moment works the best for a character like Leon. And for me... I just love thinking of the most obscure thing I could think of. I always related to branches. Branches are things that allow you to veer off the main road and back onto the main road a little later. That's kind of what improv becomes. You change the rules a little bit. It had nothing to do with my attraction to a woman who has a smart-ass mouth like that. But what it was is she came in there on a whole different thing. So to shake it up a little bit, you know, I threw a little branch in there, meaning Leon loves a woman with a smart-ass mouth. So <laughs> I like to give Larry a little something new he didn't know about the character. Every time we get on camera together, I like to give, you know, writers and give Larry something he didn't know about Leon. And you were bar mitzvah? Oh, yeah, yeah. Three times. The last time was a few months ago in Atlantic City. Yeah, but I thought you only got bar mitzvah once, you know, no, no, when no, you're no. 13 years old. No, 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 no. You misunderstood. What? It's once every 13 years, you know? You got to recharge the mitzvah. So you always keep your mitzvah kind of full. Like capacity. Capacity, uh, uh, mitzvah, capacity. 
you know, he'll spend three, four months or whatever writing by himself and with some friends and writers. And, you know, it's a typical comedy writing room setup where you break the overriding arc of the season, you break each episode, and, you know, it's all up on cards or chalkboard or something. So that a normal show, you would break it down like that. And then when you had every beat worked out, you'd hand the episode to a writer and say, okay, go write the dialogue, that everything, you know, was worked out. But he just doesn't hand it to a writer and say, go write the dialogue. So everything is done and worked out and thought out, except the actual words. So you show up and, you know, depends on how much you want to know or need to know. A lot of times I just, just tell me, just tell me, you know, oh, I see it's a fundraiser for NRDC and I, uh, gave money anonymously and then secretly told some people that I was anonymous so that I would get the praise and the glory. (laughs) You know, and then you go play. And like all improvisation, half of it sucks. But then, you know, you do one take and it's embarrassing or bad. And then you go, you know, he will say, all right, or someone or the director will say, okay, that worked, but don't say that. Don't go there because that's a bad place to go. But that was funny. Do that. And so by about the third or fourth time that you've done a take, you've kind of improvised a script in a way. What is this bullshit? Anonymous. Give me a break. Anonymous. If you're anonymous, how come people know about it? I told maybe one or two people, friends, that I didn't think I wanted to have a secret. Oh, really? I have a feeling everybody in this room knows. I have uh, some friends who were diehard. Seinfeld is the greatest show in the world people and then they felt once they started watching Curb they couldn't believe it but they really felt like Curb had somehow eclipsed their devotion to uh, Seinfeld I know it's kind of a Sophie's choice question but in terms of process and just doing the actual show is there one that was more joyous or easier well I, I hate to use this expression apples and oranges but it's true because one I was acting in and the other I was watching people right. act. So that's a, that's a completely different experience. There was never a time in Seinfeld where it, the development of it where you thought about playing George, right? No, no. And if they had asked you to do that, you would have said no because you had to write it. Well, right? they never would have asked me. <laughs> <laughs> that's number one. <laughs> number two, I, I couldn't, there's no way I could have done both because there's 22 episodes and the shows have to be written while they're being rehearsed. So it was. It would have been untenable. I did like that Curb was a vehicle for you talking to people about George's character, though, and people, people's ideas about him, and you were saying, well, no. I, <laughs> I mean, you were kind of defending his honor. I thought that was... That right, happened several right, times. right. That and must and whenever been... George is insulted, it uh, raises my hackles. I know. I And, you know, I go in and I talk to them, and we, you know, I try to present differently, but they, uh, <clears throat> they see the idiot. They see the schmuck. Well, what do you mean schmuck? I don't get that. What do you mean schmuck? The yachts, the idiot, the, 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 you know, you know, you know. No, I, I frankly, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why you could say he's a schmuck and a yachts and an idiot. I don't see him that way at all. I just see him as funny. I mean, of course it was funny, but he was the he was the fall guy. He was the the, the jackass role. He was, you know, this is the guy that never got the girl, and he finally gets well, so the girl, what? and he kills so her uh, with the envelope, and uh, doesn't know what he wants. That's funny. And, uh, That's and, uh, not schmucky. That's you know. funny. I think one of the coolest things about Leon is that Larry really 
not only respects his opinion, but always asks for it. Because Leon is the wise one. I mean, we could be watching a show where Larry's mentoring Leon and Larry's trying to teach Leon this or whatever. I think it's so cool. It's just the opposite. Larry's constantly coming to Leon for advice. And Leon has, he has a sense of the world. No, you got to do this first and you got to do this. And what did he say to you? And no, you got to, this is what you got to do about that. I think that's totally cool. It's the greatest thing ever. I, I think, you know, obviously Leon gives Larry good, bad advice. You know, this advice, this advice, you know, it works, it works. And even in my Leon book I got coming out, I say, the one thing I think that's fitting is, I always say, Leon, he ain't wrong, he's just not right. You know, it's like, he said, this shit sound right. You know, he's not wrong, but he's just not right. His direction, his motives behind it are not right. So you didn't do shit, and you punked out. That's what the fuck happened, right? Yeah, I punked out. I punked out. How'd that happen? What was I gonna do? The guy, the guy could have killed me. Next time a man caught you a fucking faggot, you get in that ass, Larry. That's what the fuck you do. What are you talking about? You let the man slide today. You gotta immediately get in somebody's ass when that happens to you. You pull their asshole open, step into their asshole, close the door behind you, take a spray paint can, right? Uh-huh. Larry was here. He just, he'll let you know how he is and the kind of things he loves, which in turn sometimes ends up being what women love, what guys love about them. And I think he's anchored in as this particular outspoken character that I think people tend to gravitate to. And his Leonisms are things that are lasting, and they become this, this mantra. You know, he never thinks about tomorrow. He's always living in that moment of today. Was there a moment from one of the episodes you did with Larry, like a scene or something from the show, that just maybe you, you cracked yourself up or Larry cracked up so much that you guys had a stop shooting or, or something that was just kind of really memorable we have one episode they didn't even air it because sometimes i get on this tangent and sometimes all the ideas come at once and let me tell you something we had this one scene we did they didn't even use it but i swear it must be 10 minutes long of me just ranting <laughs> and i knew i was ranting because anytime the camera guy starts shaking and you see him like kind of hold it in and you see everybody in the scene like laughing who are not on camera and it's just me on camera or Larry and myself. You know, this is one scene we did. It's the moment when I was thinking Larry about how well he took care of my sister Loretta. Loretta was sick and I was telling Larry that how proud I am that he is taking care of my sister, even though he won't be able to have sex with her anymore. And the scene is supposed to be me telling Larry he's not going to be able to have sex with her no more, and Larry being Larry, like, oh, shit, I got to get rid of her. You know, in his mind, he's thinking he got to get rid of her. But I'm saying, I thank you for being with her, and I can't believe, you know, a man of your nature, you know, I'm really proud to be a friend of yours, just knowing that you will not be able to have sex with my sister anymore, you know, that that's not your whole motivation, that you're willing to have a dry dick for the rest of your life with her and not have sex and have to masturbate because you can't have sex with her. You know, all you can do is rub her breast. And I did 10 minutes of this shit. And let me tell you something, man. <laughs> I never laughed so hard inside my body. I said, they're going to put a statue of you in the middle of City Hall. It's going to be you standing there like Caesar, naked with a dry-ass dick. And let me tell you something. I must have did 15 minutes of this shit. And, I'm, and inside, I'm dying laughing. Everybody's died. I can hear them laughing in the tent. That's how crazy it was. But they didn't use it. But for me, that was one of the funniest moments ever that never got aired. But as far as the ones that got aired, it has to be Leon coming to New York and me talking about driving the Prius 
across country with no driver's license <laughs> <laughs> and telling him all my adventures I had in the car, how I stopped at a rest area, picked some girls up, you know, I picked the family up, they had a baby seat, and thinking how, how tough this car is and all the things <laughs> I did with the car. And, and we had so many versions of it. I just kept making up stories about the car and what I did with the car. And uh, I think that's the best thing. And I think when um, he wanted me to snatch the purse and make him be a hero, I think that's the top one. Yeah. That's the top one. Because his face, he didn't know what the hell to expect. Well, when you and said I, you I, were going to rough him up, he goes, what? 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 Yeah, well, I got to rough you up. I got to fuck you up, Larry. Shit. I got to rough you up. <laughs> you, can't do it. you can't do it half speed. You want to be a hero, right? The more fucked up you look, the bigger hero you're going to be. You can't do that shit half speed. You are the greatest. That's how we do it, yo. That's how we fucking do it. Huh? I walk by, I grab the fucking purse, I run down the street, Larry pops the fuck out, tackles me, try to get the purse back, I fuck Larry up, and keep on rolling. Yeah. Somebody gotta get fucked up, Larry, right? Well, you don't need to, what, what are you saying, fuck me up? What, what is it? You tackle me, I ain't gonna let a fucking bitch and shit let you fuck me up. No, I tackle you and then you run away. You run away. The more fucked up you are, the more of a hero you're gonna look like, man. I'm gonna break your fucking teeth, your glasses, or something. Leon, I don't need to look like that much of a hero just stopping you and giving our purse back. There's no way in hell, man. You can't do that shit half speed. You know, I'm sure Larry would say he uses me. Uh, you know, he, he asked his friends, what annoying thing does Ted do? Because one season, I was just the asshole of the season. And so he thought, I never do that. <laughs> and he would go around asking friends, what does he say that's just annoying? And someone would say, oh, he's always saying heaven. He uses the word heaven all the time. So, you know, things like that would pop up in a script. But then that's the joy of that kind of style of comedy. It's like, you can't wait to throw yourself under a bus if it's funny. If it's funny, you'll do anything to make yourself be even more of an idiot than you really are. But really, your function on the show is just one thing. It's to force Larry into a corner so that he finally explodes and comes out more Larry. Because when he's more Larry, he's hysterical. So... You really are acting a function, not, you know, a character. Was there something that you learned or you found surprising about Curb that you thought, hey, wait a second, I never thought we could do this or, boy, that works. I think the thing that really surprised me was what a great actor Larry had become. Former HBO chief Chris Albrecht. You know, playing himself or a version of himself, obviously. But that's really hard to do. You know, it's easier to play like a big character, you know, give somebody a great villain to play or give somebody, you know, a big broad comedy to play. And I'm not saying it's easy, but to do what Larry's doing is really hard, really sophisticated, really, you know, at a, at a very high level of execution. And having been there when he was throwing down the mic and struggling to get jokes out and struggling to get anybody to pay attention to him, to see this kind of consummate comedy genius be able to do that, I was not only impressed, but really happy for him. Curb director, Bob Whitey. I did something behind Larry's back, which I rarely did. I mean, I would do things behind his back, if I, you know, not in a disloyal way, but if I really thought it would help the show, you know, something to surprise Larry, I would, you know, work on something that he didn't know about just so I could get a reaction from him. But this was one of the few times where I did something that I knew he wouldn't want me to do, but I, I knew it was the right thing to do. So Crazy Eyes Killer was season three. Now this guy comes in, Chris Williams, who came in to the audition in character. He didn't call himself Crazy Eyes Killer. I think he called himself the Wolf. 
And he had these, like, teeth that were sharpened into fangs, these kind of fake teeth. But he came in fully in character. And we really thought that was him. That was the guy. We thought, well, that's great. He doesn't even have to act. I mean, he's exactly... And then our casting director said, no, 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 that's an act. That's not who he is. (laughs) So, in any event, and then it winds up, he's Chris Williams. He is Vanessa Williams' brother. And I used to be very friendly with Vanessa Williams. So, in any event, we have the scene in that show where... Now, this was in the outline was simply that Crazy Eyes is at his engagement party with Wanda, and Larry is there. And Crazy Eyes wants to run some rap lyrics that he wrote by by Larry. And, you know, for Larry's comments. Now, I thought, you know, it's unfair for Chris to show up on set that day and say, okay, we're going to do a scene where you're going to run some lyrics by Larry that you're working on. Because I thought Chris said, well, you know, I'm not a real rapper. How am I supposed to just come up with it? So I called him up the night before, and I told him what the scene was. And I said, just prepare something. And it should be dirty, and it should be violent. And sort of like the last thing that some bald, middle-aged Jewish guy is going to, you know, have anything to add to or to any revisions to give you. But just make it dirty and, and make it violent and you're going to kill somebody for disrespecting But wait, wait, that though. It's on a piece of paper, though. He actually takes out a piece of paper. Didn't Larry get suspicious? But by that point, Larry's already into the scene, and he's into character, and he's he's going with it. So he's not stopping to say, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Because it's working. So he never put two and two together. You know, Larry's not all that bright. He plays, oh, okay. He's smart on the show, but, you know. I think he's so bright that he actually knew that you tipped him off in advance. And he wasn't going to approach me and say, you know what, that was the right thing to do. Your joke to Jerry and Larry during the Seinfeld reunion episode, I was laughing so hard I thought I was going to be sick. That just came to you just like that? No, no, said, no. You want to hear a joke? joke? It's said in the outline that Funkhauser tells Jerry an off-color joke. Comedian Bob Einstein. And there's not more of an off-color joke than I told him. <laughs> I had to tell it ten times because the first time I said, P.S., your thing is in the sink. Everyone went up. The Seinfeld cast, the cameraman, the sound man, the director. So then each time I would go back to the letter of that joke, they would start laughing. You didn't tell anyone what the joke was No, no. The only one I told Larry is I told Larry because I didn't want him to laugh. Jerry's reaction was a real reaction. A woman's very afraid of the size of her opening. What is she afraid of? The size of her opening. So she goes to her mother, she says, what am I going to do? I'm so big down there, when I marry Harry, he's going to divorce me. Her mother says, don't worry, sweetheart. It runs in the family. Do what I did when I married your father. Go to the market, get some raw liver, put it in there, and never know the difference. Oh, my God. So she does. They have eight hours of sex after their marriage. She wakes up at 10 o'clock, he's gone, but there's a note on her pillow. It says, my darling Harriet, to think that I waited a year to consummate our love relationship makes my heart beat so loudly, I'm surprised it didn't wake you up. The only reason I'm not here now, darling, is I'm at work to make enough money to buy you a house, a picket fence, we'll have dogs and children. Ah, this is not so bad. Oh, yeah, this is great. Will you finish the fucking joke already? When the five o'clock dinner bell rings, I will be home like the winged gossamer of your love in your arms, your loving husband, Ah, Harry. Ah, that's nice. P.S. Your cunt is in the sink. (laughs) It's impossible not to laugh. And what I also love about it is if you tell someone a joke, you can see in their eyes their a, listening a joke, but B, they're trying to follow what you're saying so they can repeat the joke. And when I see that, I make the letters so long that her face goes dead because they just they can't.
can't do it. They don't know what I'm talking about or anything. <laughs> it's, a, it's a killer. How did you come to decide on that particular joke? Cause obviously because obviously you have a war chest. Because it was so foul at the end. <laughs> it was so foul at the end, and then, then it's so confusing in the middle. I mean, you can't follow it, really, and you don't really know where the heck I'm going. And then when you hit him with that, it's a scream. I also love Marty's piousness, and I was wondering if you could talk about how you developed that, because like in Palestinian Chicken or uh, other Boy, times... Did I love that episode. When I'm in the house with a yarmulke on the size of a hubcap, and I'm sitting down there, and I hear up above the Palestinian woman screaming, I'm going to fuck the Jew out of you. And then he comes downstairs like little Lord Fauntleroy, like he's made a big conquest, and introduces her to me. Martin, this is Sasha. Sasha, this is Martin. And I don't do anything. He said, all righty then. I, I mean, it's one of those episodes you just, you die. Problem? Fuck me, Jew bastard. Yeah. Small price to pay for the best sex I've ever had anywhere. This woman is amazing. When did you have your orgasm when she said she'd fuck the Jew out of you? Hey, let me tell you something. The penis doesn't care about race, creed, and color. The penis wants to get to his homeland. It wants to go home. From its early beginnings in a Maryland dorm room to its current state today, the growth of Squarespace has been staggering. Today, Squarespace has over 680 employees across offices in New York, Oregon, and even Dublin, Ireland. In 2017, Wealthfront called Squarespace one of the great career launching companies, and Cranes has named Squarespace one of the best places to work in New York City every single year since 2012. Squarespace's core principles that we spoke about last time drive this type of acclaim. But it was the early years that helped define today's growth. After all, this is an entrepreneur's story. Squarespace founder Anthony Casalena put it this way, quote, building Squarespace gave me great experience with all aspects of the business. It probably took longer to grow than other people would have had the stomach for, but I think that our hands-on nature has been really positive. So what's your next move? Squarespace offers a unique domain experience that's fully transparent and simple to set up. Their award-winning templates are the most beautiful way to present your ideas online. Whether you're starting a new business from your dorm room, scaling internationally, or producing a podcast, Squarespace will help you turn your dreams into reality. These days, you can get practically everything on demand, right? Like our podcast. You can listen whenever you want, whenever it's convenient for you. So why are you still going to the post office, waiting online and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? You know that feeling you get when you get things done with just a click of your mouse? It can't get more convenient than that, thanks to Stamps.com. Look, anything you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your home with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes, so you can get postage whenever you need it, 24-7. Right now, for our listeners, sign up for Stamps.com and use our promo code ORIGINS for this special offer, a four-week trial including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Within minutes, you'll be printing postage right from your desk. Go to Stamps.com. And before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Origins. Don't forget, it's the little microphone at the top of the screen. That's stamps.com. Enter Origins. You'll never have to go to the post office again. I'm in very good health. You are? I got a beautiful colon. 
You want to take a picture of my colon? I have a VHS fine, of mine. Fine, You can put my colon up next to your colon. We'll see who's got a cleaner, I'll healthier colon. I'll have a colon, colon contest with yeah. you anytime Anytime you want. you want to have a colon contest, yeah. buddy. Yeah. We're shitting and, and pissing what? almost 70 get times a week. Get the hell out of here. This is ridiculous. I thought the work that you did with Richard Lewis Needs a Kidney, that whole storyline was just unbelievable because... Yeah, that was, a, you know, and that one in particular, you know, when I... I needed a colonoscopy a couple of years ago, and I'm waiting for the car. They, you've got, everything's valeted in L.A. So I had a valet, and the guy says to me, are you going to have a colon fight with Larry? I go, you know what? <laughs> Can you just do me a favor? You know, I could be dying. Let me get my colonoscopy. That was part. That was a terrible. So then I get the car, and some other guy is walking to his car, and he goes, Richard, is your kidney okay? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you got Larry's kidney. I go, no, no. I said, please, <laughs> please. And, and it gets to the point where, you know, because we're playing our, our own names and our own persons, people do believe it. And I, and I sort of take pride in that because I guess it's very real. You know, I'm a gigantic film buff, and uh, one of my heroes, who I've never met, unfortunately, although I'm... I correspond with his, one of his children, Zoe Cassavetes, is uh, John Cassavetes. I, I know every film I've seen a hundred times, and it's so real. Uh, you know, I, I remember hearing, uh, I think Spielberg said it was like he felt he was a peeping Tom watching Cassavetes' movie. He was just, just watching people's lives unravel, mainly. And we're not unraveling necessarily. I might be unraveling in some scenes, and Larry might be upset or angry, or, but funny. But I, I felt it was like doing a Cassavetes movie, but as a comedy, because it's so real and it gets really intense sometimes. Our fights are almost no different, except maybe in, in how loud they are and in real life and on the show. Did you at any point want to be or did he discuss with you, you being part of the show on camera? Because much like Richard and Jeff and other people, you're part of his life. So it would have been natural. I would have loved it. It didn't come up. I never asked. I always had a lot of stuff to do. You know, my own pretty full plate writing-wise. I don't think that I was thought of as an actor or a character. But, in fact, what I would do is the beginning of every season, I'd make one call and say, uh, can I be on this year? <laughs> okay. And finally, I think it was his eighth season. Okay, here's my annual call. Can I be on this year? And then it was shooting in New York. And he called me pretty deep into that season. He says, all right, I think I have something for you. Okay, and it was that guy, a guy named Duck Steen, who, like I said earlier, chased him around wanting to have lunch with him. We never have lunch in that city. Why would we have lunch in the new city? Well, I see what this is. We, I see what this is. We don't is. have lunch You're together still in holding LA. a grudge because we didn't invite you to Joni's bat mitzvah. You'll never forgive me for that. No, no. I'm telling you, we sent it out. You were on the list. I did get the invitation. Yeah. Yes, and I paid so little attention to it that I didn't even bother to RSVP because I shouldn't have been invited in the first place. I was offended that I was invited. So let me get this straight. I'm going to eat alone. I'm going to eat alone tomorrow. Why do you want to eat with me? Because we never get a chance to eat in L.A. Because we're not... Friends. Do you think your work and your background as a comic, though, has informed your ability to do the show so well? Because I don't think people appreciate the fact that there really isn't a script. And so, yeah. so much is happening while you're on your feet right there. 
Well, yeah. I mean, you know, definitely being a comic. And, and so many of us are comics. I mean, Cheryl is really the only one who's not, who's part of the regular cast. But she was in the Groundlings for so many years. And so she did a lot of improv. But, you know, I see there's a lot of regular actors who come on and are terrific at improvising. But some not so much, you know. Yet comics, that's what we do. I mean, you work in clubs as much as I've worked in clubs over the years. And you have to improvise. But it's also, to me, it's also an acting thing. I was in an improv group many years ago at the comic strip in New York. And the main thing you learn in improv is listen and respond. So the main thing in improv is you really have to listen. And a lot of actors, and good actors always have to listen. But a lot of actors don't. They're just waiting to get their lines out. And you can't do that in improv. Because you have to hear what somebody says. Because the line that you had in mind might not be appropriate to the response. Does Susie love Jeff? Yes. Yes, she loves Jeff, even though she can't stand him. <laughs> well, but she loves Larry. Her main loyalty, though, is to Sammy. Right. But I love in a scene where Larry will just say to him, you poor bastard. He'll say something like, you know what people say behind your back? They say that poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but we've all, Jim, we all know relationships like that. Right. We've seen them. Right. And you walk away thinking, why are they together? But, you know, people have arrangements that work for them. In marriage and long-term marriages, when they're married forever and they got kids, and they just they, something works for them, and we can't always, you know, have, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Who knows? You have brought your semen outside our home, Jeff. Yeah. That's adultery. That's uh-huh. cheating on me. When did you, you masturbate in this house, in this house alone, maybe a hotel, not in a friend's house. I have to, I have to agree with that, really. All right, you know what, Larry? I can handle this. He's my husband. Shut the fuck up, okay? okay. It's sick, Jeff. You don't jerk off in somebody else's home. Parachute sheets are the softest and most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. And why is that? Well, simply put, it's because they're made from the very best fabrics. Parachute sheets have a clean, minimalistic style that come in neutral colors, so they work perfect in any bedroom. And the best part of parachute is that their sheets get softer with time. Plus, if you're a person who wants to make an impact on the world, and frankly, who doesn't, then Parachute is the company for you. They've partnered with the United Nations Foundation to donate malaria prevention bed nets, and they've already donated 16,000 so far. Here's another great part of the story. Parachute offers a 60-night trial, so if you don't love your sheets, you just send them back, no questions asked. Now, if you're wondering how that makes a positive impact on the world, well, all returns are donated to Habitat for Humanity, and that's a great cause. So don't wait. Visit ParachuteHome.com slash origins for free shipping and returns. Again, that's parachutehome.com slash origins for free shipping and returns. It doesn't get any easier. It's time to get better sleep with Parachute. Just like that, you got turned on. Not just like that. That's a long time. Five seconds. You got seconds. five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. Boing, and it come out. It's not one, what? two, three, four, five. Where's your Mississippi? You got to put Mississippi in there. Mississippi? Mississippi? That's how you count. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi. That's way too long. Way too long. You stretching it out for your I'm behalf. not stretching it out. I shortened it. David Steinberg has been called the comedian's comedian, but he is the audience's comedian, too. A man who has mastered every kind of comedic art. Performing, writing, and directing because he could, and he had to. The shows he's directed include Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Well, when you're talking to someone like me, whose background is Second City, before Larry David, it is the ideal way in which to work. To work it out and do it over and hear the sound 
it allows the actors a certain kind of freedom. The writers then could rewrite after hearing the language and the rhythm and the tone that you're getting. And Larry was very bold to attempt this. You know, we were doing this right at the beginning of Curb, and even in Seinfeld they would try and do that, but the network were driving them crazy. Larry liked the idea of the spontaneity of it and then rewriting on the spot. You know what this comes down to, Jim, is like no one works as hard as this group, like Larry David, writer and friends and all that. They just aren't happy until it's exactly right by all their estimations, whatever it is, whatever the scene is, whatever everything it is, they just work harder than anyone else. And I've been on a lot of sets, but Curb Your Enthusiasm is work, and the advantage is friendship with people that are really uh, funny, interested of pushing the envelope and stuff like that. It seems like, particularly given his personality, if he is going to get back into the comedy business and a difficult one at that, it's got to make sense, which is like the network's going to leave him alone. He's going to be surrounded by friends. Yes, exactly. And he can't work any other way. He knows what he wants. He knows what he's looking for, although it's always elusive. He's always pushing the envelope. He always wants to challenge himself more and more. Uh, he loves the negative in personalities and likes to explore them and doesn't think that they should be cast aside. He's just, he's so interesting that way. And incidentally, in, uh, you know, everyone I'm sure you're going to be talking to, and myself included, we're very good friends. And, and he's a very, very devoted friend. He's, he's totally the opposite of the character that he's playing on camera. We split a check! And, and he doesn't want to coordinate the tip. Why doesn't should I? Why, why should I you? need to coordinate the you tip? You go out with a friend. You tip in concert. Why are we in concert? There's no what? concert. No, two We're different people, concert. two different tips. A tip is a solo, Larry. No, it's Thank not. You. Tip yes, it Thank you. Thank you. Solo. If no. You... Tip is a solo. What is the big secret? He's got a big secret. What is the big You're secret? You're digging into my personal thing. I want you. You got to know what my taxes are. You want to know what I pay for my no. house? I just think it's the right thing to do. That's it's, all. There's no right and wrong to it. In fact, you're wrong. You don't want to save anything for the editing room. Uh, it, because you're going to have to be there anyway. Because what you're doing is taking place in the present. And this is working for now, for now. Now, what happens when I put it before that scene and after that scene? And it takes a skill. And that's not Larry's job. That's a director's job is to know how the scenes are going to balance out against each other. Because often we're seeing the end scene, uh, like in a film, before you even shoot the opening scene. So the key here is just catching the rhythm. And Larry has a certain rhythm. He's not afraid of revealing things, not necessarily about himself, but about the characters. And he created something that now everyone is just, you know, falling into lockstep and doing. Uh, when we started with the network, they were nervous. Where's the script? Where's the dialogue? Where's this? Where's that? And somehow we managed to survive it. When you hear a take that you love. Yes. Are you tempted to just quick move on to the next thing? Or do you feel like, well, just in case for some reason that doesn't, let's do a couple more. What's your methodology in, the, in uh, moments like I that? If I love it, I move on. All right. And then what happens though, when you get to editing and 
that scene that you loved so much, Larry may be saying to you, well, I don't really like that for whatever reason. And so what happens at that point? Well, editing is just another version of writing. So you expect to find surprises and you expect to find changes because we're doing a scene that is separate from the script as we're doing it. So all we want to do is get every, as a director, you want every version of the potential of the emotion of the scene. You don't want, if it's angry, you've got to be real angry. And then you want to be a little bit angry. And then maybe I shouldn't be that angry. You want to get every version that you possibly can. And the value of improvisation is that it allows you that. And I think that when Larry and I started to work together, he wanted my Second City experience. I had been there for five years at that point at Second City. And he wanted to tap into that. And he did automatically. He just knew how to do it because he knew it would be more spontaneous and knew this is comedy. It, you can't dissect the patient. It'll die. I don't think you fucking bring it. I, I'm telling you I brung it. I know when I bring it and I know when I don't bring it and I brought it. You did your fucking thing. Yes. You did a dizzle on her, right? I did what? The dizzle. The dizzle? You did, the, you did your dizzle on her, right? Yeah, I did my dizzle. That means you did yeah. your fucking thing, right? Whatever. Fucking yes. Right? Yes. This is Larry's baby. He guides us through what he has in mind. He allows directors who are writer kind of directors, I guess I'm that category. He allows you any version that you want to try of the scene. So you have so many options because when you, you're doing a scene that has to be edited and that means it's going to follow a previous scene that we might not have even shot then. So you have to give yourself as many options as you possibly can get and not just go for laughs, which we we know are going to be there because Larry's such a good writer. And uh, that's pretty much how it works. Half the time, I don't even know what we do. I mean, I've, I've read the outlines ahead of time, but when I get to set, I'm not really sure what we're doing that day. Unless it's something, you know, like uh, sometimes he just throws stuff at me, like now I got to know sign language or now I got to, you know, th- things like that. Um, <laughs> you know, then I have to focus on it if it's a task that I'm unfamiliar with. But if it's just a normal, regular scene, I don't even think about it. You know, a lot of times we'll be on set and, you know, we're talking, we're talking about the Yankees or some such thing. And then they'll say action, and Jeff and Larry and I will look at each other we're like, what, what's the scene again? We don't even know. And then we'll ask the AD, and he'll say, oh, it's this. Like, oh, okay, fine, let's go. We'll do it. We don't think about it ahead of time at all. And do you feel like men are intimidated by Susie Green, or do you think that there's a part of them that really relishes the idea that there's a tough woman that is in their uh, world? Both. When I first met my husband, he had never seen Curb, so I was very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? because he got to know me before he ran the other way. But years ago on my website, I had a contact. When I first put my website up, I had a contact thing on it. And I was getting these crazy S&M guys contacting me, you know, just really weird, sexually perverse and wanting me to like tie them up and scream at them. So I got rid of the contact because it was gross. (laughs) I'll give you a story that's the greatest show business story of all time. Uh, my partner and I produced 18 hours of Red Fox. Our shows, 18 of them. On ABC, it was a Friday show. And I loved him. I just loved him. And all he did all day was uh, grass, coke, and screw. But 
when it came time to do the show, he was on it. He just knew it, and he was great. You know, the, all the years he spent in in the pits doing his comedy, and he was so good to his friends. Anyway, first show we're doing. Ladies and gentlemen, we have 500 in the audience. Red Fox! And we had a, a big R-E-D-D, and it turned into a tenement. And Red was going to walk down the door, down the steps, and start the show. And uh, the audience is screaming, no, Red. I stop tape. I go to Red's dressing room. I knock on the door. I hear, what? I open the door, and the girl who does his hair is sitting on him. So I'm seeing her, her dress, and his knees. And I said, Red. And from under the dress, he said, what? <laughs> I said, we're on camera. And he said, can't a man relax? <laughs> if you can find something better than that, you have to tell me. <laughs> Why did Larry David decide after six years to bring back Curb for a ninth season? What has it meant to cast members and others to be part of the show? And after being on and off the air for the past 17 years, can it be too soon to talk about Curb's legacy? We'll talk about all this next in Origins, Curb Your Enthusiasm, episode number five. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 